As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, Halloween ends final trailer reaction. Bros hits theaters. And for that reason, we are joined by director Nicholas Stoller and producer Judd Apatow. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 230 of Real Blend, a podcast that plans to reference Bruce Willis a hell of a lot more between now and June of 2023. And I'll explain to you guys why in a hot second, because on this week's show, we're going to discuss Halloween ends, the final trailer, give you guys our reaction to it. Rose hits theaters and then director Nicholas Stoller and producer Judd Apatow are going to join the show as our special guests. Uh, my name is Sean O'Connell, the managing editor here at Cinema Blended, joined as always by my favorite co-hosts of all time, Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hello, Kevin. How are you? I was just happy that my name came first this time. I'm always wondering, like, what dumb's joking. No, but in terms of uh, <laughs> good to see you guys, love you guys very much. And uh, yes, I'm very excited for people to hear the episode this week. Uh, we have a great interview with Judd Apatow and Nicholas Stoller, which I think we were all like pleasantly uh, not surprised by, but it was a really fun conversation. It just kind of yeah. we covered so much. So we're going to dive into that. But uh, yeah, we got some thoughts on this Halloween ends trailers. So we'll get to those a few thoughts. And we're going to have some few, a few thoughts on uh, on Blonde, which I didn't mention. Also, if you guys want to hear more about the Marilyn Monroe, uh, Andrew Dominic film Blonde, we're going to review that later in the show. And you're going to want to hear what Jake Hamilton has to say about that. This is Jake Hamilton from Fox 32 in Chicago. Hello, Jakey. How are you? Oh, we're going to call that segment Blonde on Blonde. That's a good idea. Yes. See? As long I as you, you do all the talking. Gabe, it's just really... write this down, man. I'm giving this you gold is, here. So uh, all your criticism is going to be in reference to yourself as a blonde. blonde enough. Right. Yeah. You don't love the blonde representation. In no, blonde. I just, I just love it's like, oh, I'm joined by my favorite co-host of all time, Kevin McCarthy. Also, Jake's here. Right. Co-hosts. I said Yeah, co he didn't even mention his producer, yeah. so let's not even go down that road. <laughs> Gabe Kovach. Gabe Kovach in the producer chair. He's going to edit Gabe you out of this you. entire episode, Sean. Yeah. It's just me. Uh, <laughs> if you guys are uh, watching us on YouTube, hello. Good to see you guys. Uh, hit subscribe. Turn on your notifications. Join the notification crew uh, that chimes in every Friday morning. When the new show drops, uh, if you want to find out how to sign up for premium, go to the details down below. It'll get you a free 
uh, well, bonus episode on Mondays, a newsletter uh, and an ad free version of this show. And of course, the normal show is available all the different places that you can get your podcast needs met. OK, so the Bruce Willis thing. Uh, I was able to make an official announcement. I wanted to discuss it a little bit more at length here on the show. Uh, signed a contract earlier this week for a third book. Uh, this is going to be titled Unbreakable, uh, Bruce Willis's Enduring Legacy on Film. And um, very excited. Manuscript is due June of 2023. So I'm going to be immersing myself in uh, in a lot of Bruce Willis movies. Um, you already started. You guys- yeah, yeah, I've been working on this for a couple of months uh, already. I also and- appreciate that film is in the title and not digital. So thank you for that. Oh, 100 percent. Well, appreciate I mean, that. I think Bruce's people just just a lot thank of Bruce's you. people shot. Thank God it was Pulp Fiction shot mm-hmm. on film, I would assume. Mm-hmm. And uh Sixth Sense likely mm-hmm. shot on film. It did, unbreakable. Uh, yep. But a lot of Bruce's uh recent films not shot on film. <laughs> not shot on yeah, film. Yeah, that's the that's the linchpin up for those films. Yeah. That's yeah. that's what's holding them together. Um yeah. so I want to give people just a little bit of insight into what the book is going to try to do and um and then we'll move on. Um, but it's uh it's gonna take his his career and sort of break it off into different chunks, different categories, his comedies, um, his sort of boilerplate action films uh, that he's known for, uh, the time that he worked with auteurs, the, the Wes Andersons, the Ryan Johnsons, uh, the um, Robert Altman's uh, folks like that. Uh, of course, an entire section dedicated to the, to the diehard franchise. Um, and then probably the most um, uh, difficult part of the book is uh, ca- I'm going to end the book with a capsule review of every single film that Bruce Willis has appeared in. And the final count is 115 films. Um, I have 77 left to go at this oh, point now. Uh, uh, I mean, you're halfway there. So that's somewhat halfway there. Yeah, yeah close, close to that. Uh, so every is, morning, uh, do, do you have kinda, lucky number 77? I love, I love Me too. lucky number 11. I have that on DVD sitting love up that right movie. here. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you don't think about a lot of the movies that Bruce is in um, that I'll, I'll be revisiting, such as Look Who's Talking To. Um, or, T-O-O. Correct. Or Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, uh, mm. where he appears in a cameo. Mick G. What about um, um, like his TV appearances, like whenever he was on Friends? So they, that will get discussed. Moonlighting is going to get discussed, of course, heavily. Uh, and his Friends appearance will get discussed when we cover... Um, the whole nine yards. I always found it was. Matthew I love Perry. the whole nine yards. I always found it was interesting yeah. that uh, a plot point on Friends is how much the boys love, like Chandler and Ross and Joey love Die Hard, and yeah. that whenever a character played by Bruce Willis shows up, they don't realize that he looks just like the guy from <laughs> Die Hard. Right. You know who has a better cameo than Bruce Willis? As much as I love Bruce, Brad Pitt had a terrific. Yes. Oh, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt and Danny DeVito on Friends are yeah. probably the two best. It's can I terrible. can I can I just say one quick thing about about the book? Sure, of course. I've I've had the 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 pleasure of of getting to read a little bit of it so far. Obviously, not a lot. It's still in its very early stages. And at this point, having read uh, all all of your Snyder Cut book and a good chunk of, I don't, I don't I'm not confident enough to say I've read the entirety of of Spider-Man with great mm-hmm. power, but, but I've read a, a, a large portion of it. Um, and then having read a small portion of, of this upcoming, uh, Bruce Willis book, uh, I, I think this is, and look, I'm not blowing smoke. I mean, I, you know, take my 
opinion for for what it's worth i think this is your best work so far in terms of just like your evolution as a writer and also just like the angle that you're taking it as it's not really like a like historical like a to z kind of thing Mm -hmm. it's really kind of breaking it down into different angles and looking at it through different perspectives so like of all the three because well we're about a month out which is crazy to believe i i feel like i've been so focused on your narrative of the bruce willis book that i forgot that we're just about a month out from uh with great power coming out 33 days today, which is crazy. Um, and it's great. And that I, I don't want to like take away the thrill of that book coming out. But the the Willis book, what I've seen so far is just just phenomenal. Thank I'm fascinated really to read your that. last Boy Scout thing. Part. Oh, it's going to be a, that's a whole chapter. Last Boy Scout is a, a whole chapter. chapter on last Boy Scout. Oh, yeah. So the oh. uh, so it, they're going to be broken into sections. And so like I'm going to do his comedies. Right. So there was a there's a section or uh, there's a chapter for Blind Date. Uh, there's a chapter for cool. Hudson Hawk. There's a chapter for um, the whole nine yards. There's a chapter for uh, uh, I'm trying to think of what else did I put in there for the comedies. When you get to the action uh, things so far, I've written the chapters for uh, the Expendables part two mm. and um, G.I. Joe retaliation. And when I take them, I review the movies and I'm trying to take them through a real critical lens. But then I'm also sort of figuring out like how they fit into his filmography at the time. Why did he mm. make those decisions? sort of thing are they making the best use of him as an actor is he kind of you know sleepwalking his way through certain bits so Mm. um for for sci-fi we're going to be doing 12 monkeys we're going to be doing um the fifth element we're going to be doing looper armageddon so many armageddon Armageddon is going to be part of that comes her death becomes her is in the comedy section comes her yes death comes her is in the comedy section so all right uh we are able to talk to uh judd apatow and nick stoller this week which we were very very happy about and um you know, we wanted to get Billy uh, for bros because Billy Eichner would be the perfect person to get for bros. Obviously, he hosts a, a podcast in the movie. It. Uh, he hosts a podcast in the movie. Actually, absolutely. And um, Luke, um, what was Luke's last name? McFarland. Um, McFarland. Exactly. Uh, those two, if you've seen, have just done like endless amounts of press. So, you know, getting them to sit down for a 30 minute podcast was going to be really difficult. But we were thrilled that Universal gave us time with uh, Nick Stoller and then Judd Apatow as well, too. And then found out afterwards that apparently Judd didn't do a lot of interviews uh, and but wanted to come on this show. Uh, we'd had him on before. We talked about King of Staten Island and opened up about his career. And uh, heavyweights. These two were great in this conversation. Yeah, as you'll see, we're getting into a lot of Judd's old work um, and his collaborations with Nick and the idea of the rom-com and and, and working with Billy and getting uh, his voice uh, into this production. So uh, as you guys prepare for Bros opening in theaters uh, this weekend, here is the Real Blend interview with Judd Apatow and Nick Stoller on behalf of Bros. The, the confidence speech on the beach is probably my favorite scene in the film. Uh, it's a phenomenal sequence. But I want to start off by asking this question because I find this interesting. Judd, if you look at like Trainwreck or even like Funny People, um, you know, these are films that have blurred lines between someone's real life and, and the possibility of the fictional character they're playing. I mean, Trainwreck, Amy Schumer's playing somebody different, but there are things about the character that remind you of Amy. Um, so I wanted to ask each of you, where do you see the line, even in King of Staten Island with, with Pete Davidson, that was very, very similar to his life, but again, a different character. Where do you see the line between Billy and Bobby? Um, where do you see Billy stop and Bobby begin? Like, how, how does how do you balance that out? Because they are very similar. I don't know if we should say that for Billy. 
right? Yeah, I don't think that's the secret. Yeah, that's the secret. Yeah, I mean, I think there's like an emotional core there that is accurate to some of the stuff he believes and feels. And Mm -hmm. I know that that beach scene, you know, the specifics are different, but a lot of that is stuff that he has experienced, and uh, and I think that's one of the reasons it resonates so so well. but, you know, the character is also different than he is and is, you know, mm-hmm. and, and has, a, you know, is a, a, a probably a pushed version of who he is. But he would yeah. probably have a better answer to that. But there's a kind of an emotional truth there that I think yeah. he, he agrees with. We always say 30 percent real, 30 percent completely made up, 30 percent observed from your friends. Huh. Uh, what's what's the last 10 percent? <laughs> yeah. The last 10% are like, tend to be dick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, if you don't, uh, since, since, uh, looking at Trainwreck, for example, Judd, is that, uh, could you, like, how, like, where do you see Amy and where do you see the character? When 42% you look at that real, 16% friends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We're just going to go through every single character. Yeah, I, mean, I think it really all comes from, at least to me, from Shanling. Because when I was with, Gary at the Larry Sanders show, you know, he didn't accept the talk show gigs. Yeah. You know, so it was an imagining of the worst part of himself, the you know, the narcissistic side who was struggling to to not be such an egomaniac, having taken one of those talk shows. So Gary was great at like using parts of himself and then letting them out like they're there. Like one part of yourself becomes the character. Mm-hmm. And uh, but Gary always said, I didn't take the talk show, you know, like Larry couldn't write the Larry Sanders show because <laughs> he would be too much of an egomaniac to observe himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the case for all of it. Like Billy can observe himself and say, oh, maybe I have issues with vulnerability here. And obviously we're exploring the idea of like bravado and comedy as a cover for not wanting to get hurt. And masculinity mm-hmm. as a cover. Too. Yeah. But he also, I know that part of this, and we talked about, he and I talked about this a lot, and it's very different, but he, his life was going along, he was very successful, he was succeeding beyond his wildest dreams, as you know, on Billy on the Street and in his career, and then he met a guy, he, and he was dating lots of people, but not really, and then he met a guy and completely fell hard, and it, and it blew up his life, and, then, and it didn't last that long, but it totally confused him that that could mm-hmm. happen, and so I think... I think that that is the thing that he really wanted to delve into. Why did this happen to me? Like what, you know, because I think before that happened, he thought I'm perfectly happy being single and having my friends mm-hmm. and having, you know, kind of what he says at the beginning in that, in the, in the, in the podcast speech, um, yeah. you know. So, yeah. So I think he was kind of trying to excavate that. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for answering. I was just curious. Yeah. Um, guys, I, I don't want to ruin the joke, so I'm going to kind of ask around it, but I think you'll know what I'm talking about. I am a massive fan of Garth Brooks, so much so <laughs> that Sean, who was the first person to see this text and said, there's a joke in this film you're going to love. And it's a joke that kind of keeps going in regards to Garth Brooks. And I'm just sort of curious, when you make a joke specifically about someone in any of the films you guys have done, do you let the person know ahead of time, like, hey, you might be getting some phone calls, or do you just let their phone blow up on opening weekend? (laughs) Yeah, that's all across the board. Sometimes jokes are so nasty that the studio's like, you got to call them and see if they're cool with this or you got to take it out. (laughs) Um, Do you have any examples of that? Well, the one that I thought was really funny was in Get Him to the Greek. Mm -hmm. And Carla Gallo, I could tell you this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Carla Gallo uh, takes a, uh, you know, 
An electronic penis, let's call it. <laughs> sure. and, uh, or was it just a rubber? It was a rubber dildo, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and okay. so she's uh, with Jonah. She penetrates him with it <laughs> and then I guess takes it out and then looks at him while holding it and she says, this was inside Chris Angel. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's a random reference only because it happens in Las Vegas and it's just like, who has a funny sounding name? It, there's no commentary. I love Chris Angel. I've gone to see his show. I've, I've met yeah. him. He's a wonderful person. Um, and then uh, he doesn't look dildo unfriendly. <laughs> well, who does? Really? Yeah, when you get down day, to at it. At the end of the day, who is dildo? Everyone. It's a good yeah. observation, yeah. Nick. It's yeah. a good observation. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> that's more about your mood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that was a joke that was removed because we were like, it got it killed too, but he. I don't. I think did we ask him and he said no. I think we yeah. asked him. And he's like, you know, maybe not that one. And then as soon as he says that, you're like, yeah. Why did we even ask him? That was so awful to even. We think. should have just done it. It was such a funny joke. Yeah, it was a funny so joke. So funny. But, but, but <laughs> the, the funny thing is that joke would have worked with anyone. Like this yeah. was inside Gabe Kaplan. Like it, yeah. it really didn't matter. This was you know you could. It, it worked a little better because yeah. of Chris Angel. Yeah. I say there was something. It, it was, was a, something random. No. Yeah, yeah. There is something. But uh, on this, we didn't. I don't think we we needed uh, some video of Garth Brooks, so we asked him because he is a big LGBTQ ally mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we never asked because we're not we're not really making fun of him. We're celebrating sure. him. It's a compliment. It's actually. a compliment, and it came from conversations Billy had with Luke. And like Billy, like they're talking about music they like, and Luke was like, "I love Garth Brooks," and Billy thought that was the funniest thing ever. So we put it, we <laughs> put that in, and then Garth Brooks just doesn't release his his mm-hmm. video. He just doesn't do it. Yeah. So it's like a rule. It's so, not on YouTube. It's not on iTunes. No, no, it's, no, it's on YouTube, but he won't. He won't have it in movies and TV. He just oh. won't for whatever okay. you know, whatever for I, any I, kind of for anything. Thing. Like, and so yeah. we couldn't, you know. So we ended up not. We we used um uh I, I forgot I forgot who we ended up using for this little moment in the movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah. But he was the inspiration for like some of the best parts of the movie, just as an inspiration yeah. Yeah. of, of his music. Too. So yeah. <clears throat> we are very thankful to him. And I also feel sure. like I maybe should apologize to so many people in the past that we've referenced. Because I usually reference people as a way to show that a character is an idiot. So if he doesn't like something and rants against something in the culture, it's usually a cue that they're dumb. But then I think that person is probably like, why me? Why you? you, know, you know. Before Al Jarreau died, I'm sure he was like, why are you saying that? The one that got me, um, that literally I, I, I was laughing so hard I couldn't recover uh, in the Toronto press and industry screening was... Uh, Sarah Paulson in Home Alone. Yeah, the concept of that just makes oh me my laugh God. so hard uh, that I want to see it. I couldn't recover from. Oh yeah, I want to see that movie. He, we, he, well, he had he had to ask her. He's friends with her. He had to ask her for her image. We also he asked, and we I don't think we had to, but he did ask Renee Zellweger. For the Zellweger, the Zellweger, the Zellweger app. dating yeah. app, and she was cool with it. We were <laughs> yeah, like, she was, she might kill this weird, weird joke that we have in here. Uh, but she okay, was, so, she so was a fan. to that end, because I wanted to get to like, there are certain cameos in this movie um, that just feel like they had to be in there. Like Deborah Messing belongs in Bros, right? Like, and so um, is is it Billy that attracts those people? Is it people who want to come and work with him? And were there maybe any that you guys went after that you that fell through? We yeah, I mean Deborah Messing, both Billy and I came up with. We knew we needed allies who were donors to the museum, and we both were like Deborah Messing, and uh, like it's like it's so clear that she would be the first person to donate. And she, you know, he knows her from Billy on the Street, and he texted her, and she was like, "I'm in. Whenever you're shooting, I'm in." Like it was like an instant yes. And she's um, a riot. I mean, she is so she's funny. so funny. And when someone like that shows up and crushes, like you forget there are people who are so funny and so skilled. 
Yeah. And you're like, eh, we'll have Deborah Messing pop into the movie for like two minutes. And then she shows up like, I will annihilate this place in two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> These veteran sitcom actors just know more about comedy than anyone. Mm. That anyone right. And so she, she was turning lines that weren't jokes into jokes and just in her delivery and mm-hmm. stuff. She was so funny. And she also told me that she and that she, this was the first time she had cursed in something, which was mm-hmm. it, like, uh, not in life, I assume, yeah. but uh, on video. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I never even thought about that. I never thought about that either. Cursing Deborah Messing. <laughs> Thing is uh, is a revelation. Other than that yeah. one, like kind of guest rap on a Dr. Dre album she did. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was very graphic. Difference. Super graphic. Yeah. Very graphic. <laughs> was that on Crosby? Honestly, that on disgusting. disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of jokes, I want to ask this because I found this interesting. There's a moment where Luke and and, and Billy are walking, and, and Billy asks him his favorite movie of all time, and he says The Hangover. Um, and then Billy brings up this line that Bradley Cooper says in the film where he's paging Doctor. I'm not going to say it, but it's, it's a you know, it's a line that's in the film, and he's like, that's one of the first lines in the movie from the character. Um, and it's interesting to think about it because, you know, looking back on that film, you know, years later, it obviously is a problematic moment or a problematic line. Um, so I wanted to ask each of you, are like, in terms of comedy and kind of movies that you made in the past, are there lines that sting like that for you in your movies at all? Like, that, that you know, that you would be interested in kind of, like, looking at and going, oh, maybe I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have done it this way now. I mean, I, I, I hope I've always been thoughtful about jokes like that. But the mm-hmm. culture moves and it shifts and there becomes a more heightened sensitivity to what hurts people's feelings. I think, you know, in the past in comedy, there was this idea that everyone gets made fun of, mm-hmm. right? But I think certain people were getting hit much harder and people who don't have power we're getting mm-hmm. hit much harder. I always try to make it like the idiot or the mean person might say something over the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a line like that that opens up the first episode of Freaks and Geeks, and it was a way to establish that Sam Weir was uh, bullied uh, mm-hmm. at school. And I remember debating that with NBC, if we could say it. Uh, but to mm-hmm. us, it was important. Like, you know, these are the underdogs, and they're treated badly. And I don't know if it would be handled exactly like that way today. But like to us, it felt important to say, here's the reality, you know, when you're a little nerdy kid uh, of the hard time that you get. So I don't know. I think that that line is always moving. It's hard to really know exactly what the rules are. Yeah, there isn't. I mean, I'm sure if I went through, there'd be moments or things. But 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 I, I try to, when I make a movie, that everything be character driven. That you're laughing with the characters, not at them, mm. and that I'm never punching down, mm-hmm. and, and like I just don't. I don't think there's anything f- funny just about an insult. That's not like funny, you know. But I think like I think insulting someone who's powerful is 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 much funnier, you know. But you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna go there, uh, and, and again, it's a character thing. Like if if the character is the kind of person that would say something offensive, then they should say something offensive. But you just have to make sure that's very clear what your intention yeah. is and that, that it helps the story. It's not just you're saying it because you think it sounds funny. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, guys, between This Is 40 and Get Them to the Greek, obviously you guys are really good at taking who are at the time secondary characters and then making them the focus of a story. Who is a secondary character in this movie that you think would be worthy of their own movie? Oh, there's so many. I really want to see what Eve Lindley's life is like. That's the Tamara character. I think she's so funny. Uh, And then also, like, I mean, T.S. Madison and Miss Lawrence are hysterical. Like, they're both really... I mean, there's so many people, like, that, you know, because you can feel behind all these 
actors their whole life story. Like you just feel it. Like you feel like this kind of like thing yeah. popping. You know, beyond the beyond the lines that they have in the movie, you feel like an energy there. And I think that so it's hard to it's really hard to pick, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think uh, when we cast a lot of these parts, our hope is that when you watch the movie. You feel like if any if, if the camera followed any character home, you'd be really psyched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and I think a lot of what we've done with these movies is try to really follow that up. So if you know Russell Brand pops in one thing to you know to go, all right, well let's let's see what the rest of his life is like. So I, I think that's really fun. I actually am always sad if you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah. I really desperately want to know what those stories are when when, so, when a character comes alive and you feel like there's so much more there. Yeah. And also, yeah. This is 40 is probably one of my favorite movies of yours. So I'm so happy that you even continued that because I, I love that film. Sean, go ahead. <laughs> we wonder where how Jason Siegel's personal training business is going. Right <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what else? Yeah. I, I'm glad uh, Kevin brought that up because, um, you know, I've heard from more than a few people in our circles who've been able to see bros uh, that are proclaiming that the rom-com uh, is back, essentially. You know, this movie is bringing it back. But I, I would argue that, like, with movies like Knocked Up, you know, mm. and This is 40 and Forgetting Sarah yep. Marshall and a lot of the TV shows that you guys have been responsible for producing, that it didn't really go away. That it's just it, you guys rethought, you know, the the way into it. So I'm, I'm, I want to hear from each of you guys, maybe starting with Nick. How you approach the genre, you know, I, I don't think it went away. Um, and how yeah. do you deliver stories inside of it without kind of like falling victim to the the cliches of the rom-com, which I think this movie does a really great job of of pointing them out, you know, and then and then circumventing. them. Yeah, there's a weird thing where people are like rom rom-coms are dumb, but this one's good. And I'm like, maybe <laughs> rom-coms are hard to make. Yeah. Maybe that's yeah. like maybe a good rom-com <laughs> is very hard to make. Like that might yeah. be the actual like thing. I'm you know? so sick of great rom-coms. <laughs> I know. Too many great ones. It's yeah. so hard to do it, is actually yeah. what I think. And the reason it's hard is you have to find someone like Billy who has a story that deserves this, you know, and, and you see it with all, you know, the great rom-com. If you think about when Harry met Sally, like that was Nora Ephron and Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal talking about their lives for, yeah. I imagine, at least a year. You know, three of the most brilliant comedy minds there are, you know, uh, and turning that into a movie. And so you're, you're, you're really like, you know, but yeah, I don't, whenever I read like, where's comedy, is comedy, is this, comedy, is that, I'm like, it's still here. We're still like making, you know, you just, you just have to make a good one. And I think people will show up. Joe, what yep. do you remember about uh, Knocked Up when that came out? Which I thought was a pretty traditional rom-com, but like just through your filter. Uh, I don't think I even thought of it as a rom-com. I just yeah. thought of it as a, a a weird expression of of just a lot of things that me and my friends were going through in different stages of life with kids. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there was an aspect that was a rom-com of, you know, you know, an accidental pregnancy and then trying to decide, like, could this be a real relationship? Like, do we owe it to the baby to see if we might like each other was the basic yeah, yeah. Uh, premise. And then seeing Leslie and Paul, like, they, that's the ghost of Christmas future. You know, here's what mm. it turns into. And here's what, right. what's, uh, you know, uh, the obstacles of just being a parent and trying to get along well in your marriage. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't think I generally even think of the genre that much. I mean, I think maybe more with Trainwreck we were aware of. You know, this is a rom-com and the the rules of it. But it, it is about both following the rules and reinventing it at the same time. Yeah, you always hear like people are like, well, of course it ends happily. It's a rom-com. But you never hear like, well, of course the Avengers win. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's like True. movies have a certain well yeah. this well this movie's had a beginning middle and end okay like, it's like it's a, it's a way to tell a human stories you know yeah. one of the human stories that I find most interesting is people falling in love you know well, that's a great point there's only yeah, so I, many I, ways I, to do a rom-com they either wind up together or one of them dies of a disease, <laughs> right? Like, like it's not. Or that's like, a calm. That's one a turns, one's an asshole. You find out one is an asshole. Yeah. That's the other ending. Like, there's like three ways to end these. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John. I just want to point out too that uh, Leslie's reading um, from Knocked Up of uh, I like Spider Man. Yeah, always <laughs> so oh, my favorite line. Oh, it's so sad. <laughs> it's so sad. That's one of the saddest yeah. moments. I, I like, still remember that night. Because Bennett Miller was on set, and he was, like, just hanging out watching, and we were shooting a short film, just as a joke, which is, we were so, like, young and had too much energy. So while we're shooting the movie, we're also shooting a weird short film that's about Bennett Miller being sent by the studio to oversee me because it's not going well. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm both directing, and he's acting as an annoying studio stooge. And it was a weird night, but Leslie, you know, you know, improvised a lot of that. And, and, and her and Paul were great in that moment at four in the morning. Classic. You know, uh, I mentioned the confidence speech at the beginning of the interview because uh, I think that scene, straight or gay, is is extremely relatable in terms of people telling you to change, not be yourself. Um, and, you know, I think everybody can relate to that idea. Obviously what Billy and, or the Bobby is talking about in that scene is is personal to him, but there's a relatability to basically everything he says in a way. Um, but I want to ask each of you, when you guys were first starting off, uh, do you remember finding your confidence as filmmakers? Do you remember the things that you were told not to do? Don't do this. Don't do that. Like, don't, you know, be, be someone else. Like, do you remember like that moment where it all set in, you're like, I know confidence is a thing that we choose and we kind of like have to go through in our lives and it changes, but do you remember that arc for yourself as a filmmaker? I mean, when you're starting out, you're kind of copping. I, I was kind of, would be yeah. copping stuff, you know, and trying to figure out how stuff worked. Like, I remember like, Seeing, I remember seeing, like, when I was 22, seeing Rushmore and it blowing my mind. I mean, like, mm-hmm. how was this put together and thinking it can't, you know, and like, and so it's, it's your copying stuff. And then, and then I also remember seeing comedies and being like, why aren't these funnier? <laughs> like, like, in movie theaters, like, I don't, where, where are they? I don't get it. Like, why aren't these human? And like, when I met Judd, You didn't was, like a haunted honeymoon? <laughs> I did. That actually was one of my favorites. That was, that was one of the things I copied. But there was then, that either like spies like us, yeah. where there was like a few and you're just like, come on, guys. Yeah. Well, especially <laughs> early 2000. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, I mean, I, I mean, I met Judd and I was like, oh, we speak the same language, you know? And like, he became a huge mentor figure to me, but it was also just like, this is, like telling very human, honest, truthful stories is how you get to something that's very funny. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was a revelation for me and also unlocked, you know, as you know, young artist or whatever, like a, uh, unlocked how, how these things are made, you know? Uh, I, I always just thought like there was nothing about me that was interesting. And it took me a long time to think that anything that happened to me or my feelings about anything were interesting. And when I directed Freaks and Geeks... I directed an episode with Jason Siegel. That was the first episode I directed uh, where he was like playing the drums to Rush. I had to get so much help from Jake Kazan because I didn't know where to put cameras. And he would like sketch it out on a napkin for me. And then you you see him play and it looks like he's good. And then suddenly the rush disappears and you only hear the drums and you see that he's terrible. And it's an incredibly <laughs> sad episode when I look back because it's all about him realizing that he's not good at the drums. <laughs> it's like a heartbreaking episode. But um, but there was a moment so in, in one of those episodes where Bill was watching Gary Shandling on the 
Dinah Shore show, and he's like the latchkey kid, and there's a Who song, you know, I'm one over it. And it was just very personal, because it was my whole childhood was just watching variety shows alone, kind of having a good time. Mm-hmm. And uh, afterwards, Jake said, like, that's the best thing you've ever done. And it was the most personal thing I've ever done. It, it made me realize, like, oh, maybe there's something in me that someone else might connect with. Cool. Thank you for sharing. Guys, I have to uh, admit, for a long time, I referred to, and actually still do, um, Forgetting Sarah Marshall as my breakup movie. Like, if I went through a breakup, that's the movie I sat down and watched, just to kind of like, I don't know what it was, but it made me feel good and feel seen and kind of feel like, okay, like, it just kind of put me back in a better mood, and it was it was, it was my breakup movie. Um, I'm curious as... If you are too close to your film to allow it to still have an impact on you, like, is there ever a need to watch one of your own films? Like, not not like catch, not like catch it on TV, but do you ever need to watch one of your movies? Like, if our wives leave us, we watch the movies. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Two hours later, you're good. That's what she was attracted to. Uh, I mean, I'm now showing them all to. I have a uh, almost 15 year old daughter, so I'm now showing all of them to her. So They'll that's all oh, interesting. How's that going? My kids. Won't watch them. Yeah, she's wa- she'll watch them. Or yeah, out of the blue, the Iris will be like, "We watched Anchorman last night." <laughs> Wait, do, you, do you watch them with with her, Nick? Yeah. Oh yeah. Is that is that interesting? I uh, interesting to watch her reaction. Yeah, like just like to your work and like yeah, it's gotta be interesting. Yeah, I mean it. Kind, yeah, it kind of is. Like she's she. Yeah, I guess it is. It is interesting, and it's it's always when she laughs at anything that I did. Yeah. I'm like, oh wow, that's amazing. That like you know. So yeah, <laughs> right? I'm like, did she ever question like, oh, so that's the shot you went with, huh? Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, she's like, I'm trying to think like, yeah, it's, I've, shown, I've shown her Sarah Marshall. I haven't shown her Get to the Greek yet, and I showed her Neighbors. And uh, and they said yeah. do the whole thing. Yeah, they should, yeah. I can't Fiber get my, engagement. I can't yeah. get my kids to, to watch with me, like the whole thing. Your kids are in yeah, your kids now, are in the movie. They don't care. Yeah. They don't even care about that. No. Like, like Maud, don't watch them. Maud's never watch funny people as a prank. <laughs> what? Like she just I won't remember. watch it. And so oh. whenever we watch TV and she's like reading a magazine or something, I just put it on. And then she like shuts it off. And so it's like a running gag that she's never seen funny people and will never see it. Plus, it makes her laugh that I'm so annoyed that she won't watch it and she's in it. Judd, do you watch uh, do you watch Euphoria? I do. I do. I'm a good yeah. dad. I'm not a bad daughter like her. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that must be weird to watch that show. Like, like, like She doesn't do of, any like, of the weird shit there. Maude doesn't do the weird shit. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the most fun thing is to take the nice character and flip it. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. We don't know where that's going. Like, the Angus relationship, hopefully, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Judd, I want to pivot and ask about the um, the Please Don't Destroy project um, because I'm, I'm I'm based in Charlotte, North Carolina, oh, wow. and so thank you guys for for bringing some work through town. Yes. Um, and I, you've shot here before. You've shot here with uh, Talladega Nights, and anytime I'm able to speak to Leslie, she always says how much she wants to live here, and it yeah. always makes me really really happy <laughs> yeah, about yeah. that. Um, but you love to identify, you know sort of up and coming talent or, or talent that needs a brighter spotlight on them. So I'm curious what it was about those guys uh, that made you want to sort of put some weight behind them. Uh, and what can you tell us about that? Well, we were developing that script before they got hired on Saturday night live. Oh, wow. And nice. uh, I mean, they're just insanely inspired and funny and they definitely wrote, you know, working with them. It, it's a funny experience for me because it's, uh, it, it's like when I remember visiting Sailor on the set of Billy Madison 
There's just a moment when you're just hysterical and you haven't done that much and you're just so in the groove and there's nothing about the business that scares you that much yet because you haven't kind of taken any terrible hits, you know, like after a while, like you've, you've taken hits and you might like move a little slower, but they're just having a blast and they're, they're really creative and it's exciting. It's a big, funny movie and, uh, Bowen Yang is in it, and Conan O'Brien, and and uh, Meg Stalter, and X Mayo, and uh, so I'm excited about it. Next year, it's coming out next year. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thank you. I have to ask this now, but just because I want to follow up on that, can you tell us the story about the Billy Madison set visit? I, I, I don't know this. I don't know this story. I, I, I kind of want to. I mean, I think our audience would love to hear it, and it's obviously a classic film for all of us. But uh, what was that about? Well, I had just finished Heavyweights. And then uh-huh. Adam was doing, so that was like my first movie. And then Adam was doing Billy Madison. So I remember like flying to Canada <laughs> to, to visit that set. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a crazy moment when like, you're allowed to make movies and you clearly don't know how to. <laughs> uh, and, and, and there are things in them that are just so crazy because you yeah. don't realize that you shouldn't do it. And then it's a lot of people's favorite part of the movie is the thing that you would never do again. And so it's just a great comedy moment when you're really doing it to make your friends laugh. And like you're you're all laughing because you haven't like had to deal with America yet. And that's why people, I think, like him so much and it becomes people's favorite movies. And Forgetting Sarah Marshall, it's like that too. You know, it's just like very pure comedically. You know, all those moments with like with, with Paul Rudd that people like so much and yeah. and uh, Jack McBrayer. You know, it's just people making each other laugh in a very pure way. And I did not know what I was doing on that. Judd, do you think the character that Ben Stiller plays in Heavyweights is the same character in Dodgeball? They seem always, they always seem <laughs> similar to me. Well, Ben did a character similar to that in a sketch on the Ben Stiller show, like a workout guy, and uh, and he always loved Tony <laughs> Robbins, and you know that was just kind of a vibe that Ben always found hilarious. So I don't know so how they're good. all related, but it's definitely like a space that Ben likes, workout people. <laughs> love heavyweights. Well, now that we're totally off the rails, I do have to ask a heavyweights question because I love heavyweights. But I have to tell you, I was at um, uh, lunch with my friends not too long ago and the topic of heavyweights came up and all of a sudden the whole table went like, oh my God, I love that movie. Great. And I kid you not, three tables over, someone was like, are you guys talking about heavyweights? And then they started. So I'm just sort of curious, like obviously it's great when you put out a movie and, and it gets great reviews or when people talk to you about your recent work. But when someone comes at you with like the deep cuts and like starts bringing up the movies that, that you made coming up on, it's crazy to say almost 30 years ago. What does that mean to you when you, when you, when you hear someone that says like, that movie, that thing you made almost three dec- decades ago still means a lot to me and gets people talking across a restaurant. Well, it's a weird one because like that was a Disney movie and they mm-hmm. just dumped it. They didn't know what the hell we just did. <laughs> and so they, they didn't market it. There was no talk shows. No, there was no junket. Literally nothing. And so it wasn't a hit. I think it cost 10, made 20. So it wasn't a disaster. But now, you know, they put it up on Disney Plus and to the audience, it's like it was made this week. Like, mm-hmm. they don't care that it's 30 years old. It looks brand new to them. Yeah. And so these things have, like, a new lives, and you, you kind of never know what people will connect with. So it's it's great. And you get young 16-year-old Kenan Thompson in there. Yes. You get yeah. the early cut of Kenan Thompson. Yeah. And Paul. And Paul. Yeah. Paul is a skinny, and isn't a skinny Paul counselor. Paul Feig in that, too? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actor Paul Feig. 
Yeah, yeah that's right. Not in a suit, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> pre-suit. Pre-suit. He was really out of character. Slacking. Yeah. Slacking. All right, they're going to kick us out. Um, but I wanted to bring up the fact that uh, Billy has announced that he's going back to do Billy on the Street. Uh, and he's bringing Paul Rudd with him. And Nick, this one's uh, for you or, or for Judd even, too. Uh, how come you guys haven't had a chance to do this with him? Uh, it feels like you guys have the end to, to go out there and do Would you be interested in, in doing one of those with him? Uh, I th- I don't know if I'm the right person for that <laughs> to be dragged around. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you would feel. Yeah, I don't like meeting people like that. Yeah, I'd be scared. I'd be scared. I don't be scared that somehow a a joke would turn on me that I didn't see coming. And then I'd be decimated by it. Oh my God. <laughs> you know? Emma Stone, they were like, We love doing Harry Potter. And she was like, That's Emma Watson. <laughs> yeah. I might I might fight back too. Like I might accidentally start riffing. Like that's my my instinct is to riff, and all you're supposed to do on that is just like react is just react. Right. Right. But it's great that Jack Black and uh well I'm giving away the secret that yeah. Jack Black did one. Yeah. I oh, guess okay. cut that out. Yeah. It's great that Paul Rudd and someone else made one of those with Billy. Uh, and I, I'm someone very, who might give you goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the lamest thing I've ever done. That, that's, that's official, guys. That is you were here literally for the perfect joke for our show. That's all we do is puns <laughs> and shit like that. That's all yes. we ever do. It's so well, good. We know you guys had a full day, uh, but we can't thank you enough for stopping by the show and uh, and for sharing this. And we also can't wait for people to go check this movie out. So thanks, good. Thank you again, guys, for coming okay. on. Thank, thank you. Thank you. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Judd and Nick for joining the show. Make sure you guys check out Bros. We're going to review the film uh, in depth a little bit later on in the show. Uh, but before we do that, we want to get to the 
the Halloween ends final trailer, because um, I had a couple of major questions uh, about this trailer now that I've seen it and 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 about this trilogy uh, as it exists. And hopefully you guys can can help me um, figure out what we're in store for, because I think the three of us all kind of agree that, like, we're not quite sure why Halloween kills exists. Ugh. I I, right? yeah. I mean, I've been saying this since the 2018 one, like. The, in my opinion, and again, I know we work for we work in a business that's money business related, but sure. the 2018 film was beautifully called Halloween and it should have just been a bookend. And that's where he should have died. You had all three generations of the Strodes. You all three at the same time kill him in yep. that in that basement. Um, and then you're you're over. But and I'll tell you right now, when I'm watching this new trailer, I, I it's this this one in particular like after after that the 2018 when I was like, oh, my God, we're, we're going to get more of these. And I, and I knew that was coming. I get it from a financial standpoint. But at the same time, I can't watch this new trailer without thinking to myself, this just feels like a moneymaker. And I, I'm not yeah. saying that's a bad thing. I, I get the business we work in. But narratively, it's just frustrating because how can you how can you continue to have him kill people in in in, in ways that are going to be different from the last 12 films you already did and I, i'm just, I'm just fact, well they yeah. they literally reference an exact kill from the first yeah, movie I, yeah. I was I was say, a number of the kills in this trailer are just like oh this is an homage to what we saw in the first movie yeah. are we supposed to think that at the end of the trailer she's eventually going to put his mask on oh i didn't get that i didn't impression. get that either she was going to put his mask on oh i thought the, the way i saw the ending of that trailer was that she was going to put the michael myers mask on but I mean, in what wild. manner? Like she was going to start killing know. people? Maybe? I don't know. Maybe she was. Gonna, maybe she was going to kill him with the mask. Oh, cool. no, I didn't. I didn't get that vibe. OK, but oh, this is what I, I want to ask you guys. I want both of your opinions about. Because um, there's a lot of references to this, like the only way that he could die is if I die. Like, is this the end of Laurie Strode? Like, are they going to kill off Laurie Strode? Are they going to kill off Michael? In which case, if they continue to make more Halloween movies, they just won't involve Laurie Strode anymore. They kill her and she and he doesn't die. It's going to be so annoying. But let me ask you this is. <sighs> They killed her once already. Mm-hmm. Like Laurie Strode has died in okay. Halloween Resurrection, I think. Mm-hmm. So I got to be honest, like if, if that's their big emotional wallop at the end, for me, the the emotional peak that I need to see <laughs> is her killing him and moving on with her life. If okay. if they're if the big shock is that she also has to die. I feel like they have forgotten that some of us remember that she already died. He already he threw so, her off a roof. I don't remember that element because I'm I don't well. Know that movie I've doesn't exist in this time. I know. I know. Trust but me. That's I brought what it, it is? up to her, and she wouldn't yeah. talk about it. Yeah, that's what it, it is. So you, they just ignore it. You got to remind yeah, well, yeah, people. It's, it's, yeah. it's in the sequels that this narrative is not a part of. Okay. Uh, right. Because the 2018 Halloween is literally a sequel to the original. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it forgets everything to and beyond. And, and this was like Halloween 10 or something like that. It, mm-hmm. It's the one that followed Halloween H2O, which I actually really like. Um, I, I, I got to be honest with you. That's I am the dumbest. A little, t- this is the dumbest. I know. Title. I know it is. It's I am. So I am a little bit more forgiving of this trailer than I think you guys are. Um, oh, I, I, no, I kind of liked yeah, it. I kind of liked it. I hated Halloween Kills, if only because I do not. I, I could not wrap my head around the concept of a Halloween film that featured Jamie Lee Curtis in which we get no scenes with Michael Myers and Jamie Lee Curtis together. Like I could not wrap my brain around that. Um, But this one, I mean, look like all all I want out of, you know, as a horror fan, all I want, I mean, a guy who literally has a Michael Myers mask, 
three feet from me right now. All I want are some fun Michael Myers kills, um, you know, uh, uh, some tips of the cap to the original, which looks like they they've recreated. I mean, to the point where they're like, hey, in the trailer, they're like, hey, remember this shot from the yeah. first movie? Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. their clerks. Um, yeah, it basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah their clerks. Three. Um, and, you know, and I, and I, you know, some tips of the cap. I wouldn't mind some nostalgia to the to the original one and uh, and some closure for at least a couple of years. Let me let me you know. But. If if the emotional wallop is we're going to kill Laurie Strode, then to me, that's I mean, this woman's been through enough. You've mm. literally already killed her once. Let her go. Let her be happy. Let her kill Michael. Let's let it be. No pun intended. Let's let it be dead for a while and then let's move on. But for the most part, like I watch that trailer and I go, I want to see that. I'd like to see but that. Now, film. I'm actually Game surprised you guys didn't get. That didn't have that feeling when she was pulling the mask. I thought she was going to put it on. I I just look at I just look at it because oh. I mean, right. let's see. Based on the the seventy eight Halloween and then the Halloween one that came out in twenty eighteen and the Halloween Kills. Based on that narrative, she has not seen his face. Is that correct? Correct. So, Gabe so to me, clip. Gabe showed me a clip of them fighting when he fights the mob. They take his mask off. Yes. yes. And he yes. stands back up and faces everybody and he puts, but she's not there. She, Lori's not at that. Right. Oh, well now not my favorite, I'm telling you right now, maybe SNL could do this. They should literally at the end of the film, like when she removes his mask, it's underneath it is the captain Kirk mask from star Trek. That that's, that the mask is actually based oh, is that, on, that, or just uh, just another Michael Myers mask. Yeah, or but I mean, like that. Would, I mean, that would be so freaking hilarious if they. I, I really to. hope that if they do unmask him, which it looks like it's going to be, that um, they get Nick Castle back. Oh, that'd like, be cool. To me, that'd be so kind of full do circle. Do we not know? And, we don't know yet. Well, he's he has made like cameo appearances in, in the in, other films, yeah. but he but he doesn't play. Like, I mean, I, I, I mean, they've got someone else playing Michael for the most part, like a bigger, mm. a I'm pretty bigger, sure, more. pretty sure it's Nick Castle in Kills, who's in yes, the mob at the scene. beginning yeah. with in the in the in the prison. It, right. Isn't that him? Or that? I believe. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. Uh, am I in the wrong movie? Because it will. Well, well, it also because I th- also I think the thing is, is that like Nick Castle is obviously significantly older and he's not as like big and jacked as I think mm-hmm. they want Michael to be. So I think any like for lack of a better word, like body shots of Michael are sure. the new guy they have playing him. But yeah. for a shot in which like maybe we're only going to see his face, like let it be mm. Nick and like, you know, he's going to be all never, burned to hell anyway. I'll honestly never forget uh, the impact of Friday the 13th, the final chapter when mm. Corey Feldman knocks off Jason's mask for the first time. Yeah. Um, it was really jarring, you know, yeah. to see the, what he looks like behind the mask I don't know if Michael Myers is going to have that impact, you know, like depending on They've what he's taking his like. mask off like eight times in the franchise. Yeah. Like we've, it's not like a we've seen be it like a crazy like reveal sides and like and like different a- angles. I, I just try to remember like he's always obscured for the most part, except for was it was yeah, the first right. one. You just kind of see his face for well, the, something that they touched on in kills that really bothered me that to me made it less scary is this idea of Michael being supernatural, which to me, yeah. that's not scary. Like to me, yeah. the most horrifying thing, the idea is that this is just a man. Like this is just yeah. a guy who went nuts, right? But he and obviously is in in some capacity unkillable. Um, like in a sure. In a, but the more in, you not tap, the more that they yeah. straight up make that a plot point. I mean, right. there's a part of us as an audience we know that subconsciously, but mm. whenever you address that in the film, then I just go like, okay, this is not fun anymore. I, I, yeah. I my my favorite uh, in the first Halloween. I mean, the first Halloween. We're all I think we're all in agreement that it's a masterpiece. I mean, it's sure. just you mean Carpenters, 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 Carpenters. Yes. Halloween. Yeah, yeah. like 
like just shots and and everything about it. And it's also weirdly, and we've discussed this before, it's so many less kills and mm-hmm. it's so much more effective. Few, because, a lot fewer kills right, than people realize. Because I think there's four deaths or three deaths in the, in the first one. And I and I think uh, one of the most interesting things about that death count thing is I think the first Rambo only has one kill. And you think it has a lot more, I think. Or he kills oh, one funny. person in the first Rambo, I believe. I'll double check. Um, but in terms of Halloween, like that's what's so interesting to me is like we we think we want more blood and gore and guts. But if you go back to the original, it's so much more effective and scary yeah. because it's and then I think I saw this in the trailer. Maybe I'm wrong. My favorite my favorite kill. It's weird to say my, I think my, one of the most iconic kills from the first one is when he stabs the guy into the wall and he does the, the side which, which he does in the trailer for this one. That's what I was wondering. So that 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 was clearly a callback. And I don't know that I I don't know. I don't know. It, like, I does, like the, it. The, does Michael like Myers it. know he's in his final movie and he wants to? Well, give no, us I his... mean, maybe he's just <laughs> running <laughs> out of ideas. It's just what he does. But that, just that a... look, that look was so like to me, that's one of the scariest things in Halloween because he's like genuinely like he's like curious about his like his kill. He's like, huh. whenever this I interviewed uh, Nick Castle for that behemoth of a special I did a couple of years back, um, I asked him about the head tilt. Oh, what did and he, he say? He said that he had the, the, the body up against the wall and that he, he just remembered Carpenter going, tilt your head, tilt your head. And he was like, oh. What, oh, what? Why? Why? What, what do you mean tilt my head? Why? I mean, keep in mind, this is a guy who like like rolled onto set because he knew John Carpenter and, and Carpenter was like, hey, put this mask on. Um, huh. So he wasn't a professional actor or anything. So he's just like, OK, and like tilted his head. So it wasn't it wasn't a conscious choice. It was actually that's that's the genius of Carpenter. That was Carpenter. Carpenter shouting from behind the scenes, tilt your head. Is that in your piece? Yep. Uh, where, where can people find it? Oh, you can find it on YouTube. Watch you this piece because he interviewed all the different horror. Um, all the 80s monsters, including the, the original years. Pinhead, because we'll, we'll soon be talking Hellraiser very soon. Yeah, yes, I, I, that, that, that particular side. That's it. That's that. that, that well, it's, it's funny that, that you point because I love that. It's one of my favorite horror shots of all time. Oh, and Gabe, it, you said yeah. in. Um, uh, wait, you said that's not part of the haunted house at Universal right now, correct? The the uh, the, 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 the kill up against the wall. The wall? Yeah. yeah, no, I think I would. I feel like I, I did go through the like, sheets. Is, I did go through like it, twelve haunted houses in one one evening. So maybe I'm misremembering, but I don't think that was in there. The his sisters. I guess kind of spoilers if you don't want to know that haunted house. But yeah. um, I don't remember the pinned up against the wall. No, I think Carpenter's a legend, that. man. Legend. Wow. I agree with Kevin that they should have ended it like they had the perfect ending in 2018 or whatever. Perfect. It was. Three generations. He's right Kevin there. So upset whenever they go. Well, they originally they only the pitched, shot in the fire. They originally only pitched one movie, right? <sighs> See, I, I don't think that's Probably. right. Because I, I remember going to that junket for that first one with the they, they'd already had the trilogy named. It was already it was always going to be Halloween, Halloween kills, Halloween ends. Like, I feel yeah, like, I they, I remember yeah, that. I, I, I mm-hmm. specifically remember because I think I remember telling because Kevin, I remember you being very upset about that shot of the fire without yeah. him in it and me going. I think I remember I remember telling you, but dude, they already announced a trilogy like it's already I mean, I, I'm not I'm oh. not disagreeing with you, but oh, like, no, I think I, I think I just went in with the mentality of like and, and that's honestly, even though like like even though this is Halloween ends, like let's be—I mean, what's the over/under on five years before yeah. we before we come back? I mean, someone reboot yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Disney Plus is going to do a series or something on it or something like that. <laughs> the history of the mask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they they ask a they ask a young. Uh, he's got his little mask on. They're like, "What's your favorite comedian?" <laughs> he's like Myers, and he's like, "Hmm, actually, Michael Myers." Uh, have, have they done a full blown like? 
maybe I'm wrong. Have we seen a growing up Michael Myers? I know we. I know at the, the beginning of the, yeah, I know in the, a, in the original boy, and then it jumps. No, the, we, the closest. Uh, no, no. Yeah, instead of like young Sheldon, they'll do young Mike. The and teenage like, years. I'm watching that. <laughs> the teenage. <laughs> He's having a hard time at school. Nothing <laughs> oh. else. Oh. Oh. the bell opening credits. Like everyone well, pauses and looks at the that camera. That doesn't exist because when he was a child, he immediately killed someone. So we don't really have like. No, a, but he doesn't. He doesn't really spend like a lot of time said, growing up. A tough time. <laughs> he I know, but he goes off. I mean, up. he does have time in between. It's like they uh, should like do a teenage uh, Jason. <laughs> But every episode is just him at the bottom of the lake. Oh, <laughs> oh dude. Like Boy Meets World, episode. but like uh, Dr. Loomis is like his Mr. Feeney and like teaches him all these life lessons. Uh, if Halloween's not your bag, there's another Halloween. This is going to be a bad horror, episode for you. Another horror movie coming uh, called Smile. And it's from Paramount. And uh, I don't I don't think any of us have seen it yet. No, no one caught Smile. Uh, no, the they dance. did the junket this past Sunday. I think we were all we all had things going on, but I've heard absolutely phenomenal things. And I don't. Did you guys see um, that uh, that that very creative bit of programming that they are advertising that they did? That was awesome. That was fantastic. It was so they, cool. they plugged people uh, in the background of the Yankees game, like behind home plate, oh. with just really maniacal smiles, and just would cut to their faces. Um, just, Wait, I mean, I, and what, what were y'all's, y'all's maniacal smiles look like? That'd be a good like. Oh, uh, I, I don't even like my regular smile, much less my maniacals. But like that, <laughs> that would be that. There, there it is. Basically, like that. It's brilliant. I'm not sure how effective that is because I feel like that's one of those things where you need to know what the movie is to understand the advertising, which which inherently means that. I don't, I don't know. But um, I've heard that the film is fantastic, and it's also just a really great time for not just original horror uh, filmmaking, but um, just original filmmaking right now. Yeah, um, I, mean, I saw Zach Craiger post about like the, the other day. It was like a shot of a marquee. It was like barbarian, yeah. uh, pearl, pearl, uh, uh, X, per, X, smile. Yeah. And that's just yeah. that's just the horror genre. But you look at yeah. you know we've got we've got Woman King right now. Say what you want to say about like don't worry, darling. But that's an original plot that's being that was number one at the box i mean it's a really good time you know for for people who you know you know i film twitter society that so often complains about sequels and remakes and reboots like we're flush in well, original films it's right that now time of year it's that time of year where you know studios are taking gambles on i, I feel like the sequels sort of get relegated to the summer and you know sure. a few others bleed into like black panther's coming and sure. avatar 2 and things like that but um but yeah this is the time now where yeah a few more of the adult oriented indie type things are, are finding their way to theaters. So, um, and one of those is called, uh, the greatest beer run ever, which is going to be available on Apple TV. That's the next movie we're going to be reviewing, uh, in this week's segment. And, uh, Hmm. Who should go first? Have you saw this, right? Yeah. All right. What'd you think of it? Well, this is I'm, Peter Fair. Well, I want to say it's Peter Farrelly's follow up to green book, uh, starring yeah. Zach Efron Academy award winner, Peter Farrelly's correct. Um, okay. I don't think I'm as negative on this as you guys are. I'm not negative um, on it. Oh, I thought you didn't. Like no, it. no, Sean oh, didn't like it. I am oh, sincerely oh, okay. negative on it. All right. Then I'm, um, I'm with you, Kev. All right, cool. All right. Then and that's good to know. All right, cool. So I actually, <laughs> well, I'll hold my, uh, my distaste well, blonde. I think you and I are probably in the same boat on this thing yeah, because yeah. it's not a great film, but it's also, I, it's a film that I'm glad I watched. I, yeah. I think um, for people who are not aware of this, uh, it's based on a story from 1967. Zach Efron's character, Chicky, he's in New York. Uh, he's at a bar one day. Bill Murray's the, um, the bartender randomly. And well, essentially, he worked with Peter on uh, uh, Kingpin. No, I loved it. It was just like a small yeah. role. And I, I, I love how like random it was. And so basically Kingpin's so great, by the way. Um, so, 
in terms of the story, so basically Zach Efron's there and he has this idea that I'm going to go over to Vietnam during the war on the front lines and hand my neighborhood soldiers, people who are from his neighborhood, an American beer just to say thank you. Um, and that's literally what he did. He got on a boat, went all the way over to Vietnam and then found himself. And according to the film on the front lines of Vietnam in war, handing these guys beers out of a duffel bag. Um, crazy concept, crazy story. Great idea for a movie. Um, I think Efron's great in it. Uh, I think it's a little too long. That's my biggest problem. It was it, it was just it just felt too long. But for me, what I loved the most about it is that and there's a lot of these moments in the movie is when he finally shows up to one of the soldiers and just the reaction on that soldier's face who's like been at war and, and Chicky's just like, hey, man, I'm just here to give you a beer. <laughs> and it's like so absurdly ridiculous. But it's funny. Um, and to me, what I liked about the film was it juxtaposed, you know, the way the war was, you know, shown on television and the protests and the kind of the way the war was there and then giving Chicky his. Um, his arc about his understanding of where the war was going. Um, you know, Peter Fairley has been a part of my life and y'all's life for a long time. I mean, Dumb and Dumber and there's something about Mary and, you know, Kingpin, as you mentioned, I like me, myself and Irene when I was mm-hmm. growing up. Um, and then Green Book was just fine. I, 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 I thought it was a fine movie. It wasn't best picture. Um, but to me, what sold me on this film were those moments like, in my opinion, if you're going to watch this, just watch it at least for the moments where he shows up to each old soldier. It's really kind of a fun thing. And also it's shot really well. The soundtrack score is great. Um, it's just a little too long. And I also think the dialogue is a little too on point to a point where it just feels a little forced. Like, like you're taking this incredible story, which is true. And then one of the things that Hollywood does sometimes is they Hollywoodize, you know, the dialogue and, and the plot points sometimes. And sometimes you can feel that. Sometimes you can't feel that here. You could feel it a bit. Um, so to me, it worked. I'm actually it was impressed with how much I enjoyed it. Um, but I'm I'm recommending watching on it's on streaming this week on Apple TV Plus. I think it's playing in some limited theaters as well. Um, I have not seen it in a theater. I saw it at home, um, but I actually enjoyed this movie. Um, I didn't I wouldn't say that I loved it, but. It was solid. Jakey. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was a perfectly fine movie. Like yeah. I, I, I didn't, um, you know, dislike it while I was watching it. I think for me, my biggest complaint, my biggest hang up is, you know, so much of, of, of the humor and what drives the plot forward is Dickie's inability. Chicky. Chicky. Let me rephrase that. Well, no, it's okay. Dickie, Dickie, Dickie yeah. was the character from that bail played in fighter, right? Go, yeah. Is Chicky's inability to, understand how serious the Vietnam War is. You know, the whole idea of him, him even going over there in the first place is comes from mm-hmm. him not really understanding how big of a deal it is and, and, and really what's going on over there. Um, but that idea is extended way longer than it needs to be. And so many of the plot points and the actions um, that uh, of Chicky and the film, which is too long, by the way, um, arise from almost for lack of a better word, like his stupidity, his his inability to understand that like bombs are going off, people are dying. And the thing that was most frustrating is that his actions, his this this very fun, cute idea of bringing people beer is this is genuinely putting people's lives in danger, like people Mm -hmm. having to go out of their way to save him and bring him from point A to point B or whatever, while bullets are flying, like someone could have died 
because of his his idea to bring someone a beer like it's not a joke uh and, and so it, so much of the film relies on him not having made that realization yet and i had a hard time finding realism in that if that yeah. makes any sense whatsoever no i get it because like if he had found it like midway through because because like because like, he it I mean, does at the end take of the day, it the is film. based on a true story like i mean yeah. it is you know like, who am i just to knock what really happened or really happened in, in movie terms yeah. um it's, but it's the but, innocence of the character yes, but, like, but yes yeah. but I, th- I think at a certain point i just want to go dude like your buddy could get shot trying to save you like put yeah. the beer down and leave and i think that was that was where my biggest hang up on the film that i just could not get past or get over so you guys use the term realism and i found i found absolutely no realism in this movie whatsoever um mm. and i the comments that i got underneath my youtube uh video were but this is a true story never read uh, the comments sean no, I know that's mistake number one. And while I do believe that, like some element of this probably did happen, I, I cannot for the life of me believe that it happened exactly the way that that it plays out in this film, because this type of movie, which has a, a very its heart is in the right place. I will give it that credit. I think it's a sweet story. And and as you guys talked about, you're exactly right with Zac Efron and his character Having to learn that, you know, doing this uh, kind deed for the friends who are overseas fighting in this war uh, is more difficult than he anticipated. And, and Jake's right. He probably should have bailed out at some given point. But my fault with it, which which took me out of it completely, was that every single time that this dude needed something to go his way to continue the mission, uh, it conveniently was happening for him. Like they were like, he's in the Merchant Marines. And he was like, hey, do you have a boat going over to Vietnam? And they're like, we got one leaving at three o'clock. Uh, and he's like, oh, does it need an engineer? Well, you're in luck. We actually are down one engineer. Why don't you get on board? So he gets on. Fine. OK, that's OK. We got to get you over to the thing. Then he lands there and he's like, I got to get up to the so and so province. And they're like, uh, oh, we got a helicopter. It's leaving in 20 minutes. Oh, OK, I can get onto this helicopter. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, who are you? Or do you have any credentials? Um, and then someone will be like. I think he's in the CIA. And then he's like, yeah, I'm in the CIA. Let's <laughs> pretend with that. And they get going. And But the one that got me, um, and Gable can attest to this because I happen to be watching this on a laptop uh, in Toronto. And uh, at this point, I screamed out, F this movie. I don't want, I can't even go any further with it. Uh, Chicky is walking through the the jungle late, late at night. And he uh, there's an elephant stampede that oh, runs yeah. uh, in front of him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's unusual. Um, and a Jeep starts coming up uh, in the distance and the they blare a light on him. And he's af- afraid that it's the enemy. And he throws his hands up and he says, uh, you know, don't shoot, don't shoot. And he's literally been wandering through the the jungles of, of Vietnam. And uh, you hear somebody in the Jeep go chicky and it's one of his buddies from back home who happens to be driving that jeep uh at that exact moment and that's when i was like this is just terrible screenwriting it's terrible screenwriting the details of it which kev it seems like you were able to sort of you know not not get bogged down in and go along with the heart of the movie uh they took me out of it completely and so i don't fault zach efron um, I think Zac Efron was doing a good job with the part that he was given, but I think I think he was given terrible material. I actually liked Green Book more than this movie. I thought Green Book was a better a better story and, and better performances. So uh, I cannot recommend this, but these guys say that give it a shot. It's available on Apple it. TV. Yeah. Plus, it's one of those um, reviews that like whenever you review it, you kind of shrug at the same time. Like, eh, you know, yeah, well, yeah, it kind right. of in, in, in the way you're saying that the character would just kind of like 
end up in situations coincidentally. Like it kind of reminded me of how Forrest Gump would end up in situations. It does. Yes, it very much does. Like and Gump would be speaks to Forrest Gump. Well, Gump would be in a war. To right? how I feel about logical, you know, situations because sure. I don't have the ability to sort of just toss it off to that magic realism uh, that that powers a lot of Forrest Gump. Like you yeah. need to have that to enjoy Forrest Gump. I mean, Gump's just like ending up in like the most insane scenarios and you just go with it. And it's like, and again, it's, you but know, with Gump, like that's the joke though. Sure. And, but I, but I think that greatest beer run was, I don't know if it was a joke, but I, I, I think that greatest beer run was more of like, it was leaning into this, like, just like, like crazy idea of someone just thrown into they an insane scenario. They play it for laughs. Like when there's an element where the one guy is like, hey, can you recommend me to Langley? And, and Efron's <laughs> like, yeah, man, as soon as I get back, I'll do it kind of thing. So there is an, a, a bit of gump to it. But yeah, like, especially the war stuff, like the stuff like like that. That's like just gump being in those those war scenes. Like That's kind of the vibe that I found myself getting. And right. Jake, did you feel that way at all? Like, did you find like to feel that at all in terms of like some of that? Like being <gasps> no, no? I, I love gump. No, I know. I love Gump, too. I'm not I'm not saying Gump's a bad movie. I love Forrest Gump. I'm just saying that I, I, I found it similar in a way where he was just ended up in crazy situations. That's all. Wow. All right. We're going to get the blonde and bros. Uh, but before we do that, let's take a quick ad break. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we are back. Okay, so um, one of the bigger movies that's opening this week was in limited release and is now on Netflix and people will be able to check it out. Um, but you should know that it is a sit. How long is this? Almost three hours? Is Blonde yeah, almost three hours? Yeah, like 250. Yeah, yeah. All right, so this is Andrew Dominique um, approaching an adaptation of a Joyce Carol Oates uh, book that's also titled Blonde, which was up for the Pulitzer Prize um, and many consider to be her uh, one of her best books. Um, but but no, you should know going into this, and I think this might uh, color how you feel about the film, is that um, it's a fictionalized uh, biopic that... Um, you know, imagines a lot of the things that Marilyn Monroe might have gone through over the course of her uh, her young life, the early parts of her career, 
um, and some of the more famous uh, rumors and and stories that are told about Marilyn Monroe, which, of course, link her to uh, a number of really high profile love interests that she had um, that do not get mentioned by name uh, in the book. And so Andrew Dominic continues to not name them. But they're very obviously uh, Joe DiMaggio. Except Arthur Miller. I think Arthur, and Miller, Arthur Miller. They specifically Arthur Miller gets named. mentioned. Yeah. OK. Um, and then uh, John F. Kennedy, who is only referred to as the president in this movie. Um, the the buzz leading into it was that it's um, NC-17 because he takes a very uh, graphic approach to Marilyn Monroe and he doesn't uh, shy away from spotlighting a number of the things that she encountered uh, through the Hollywood system and being exploited by um, Hollywood executives, uh, having really difficult times on film sets. Uh, as she got further and further into her drug and alcohol, alleged drug and alcohol abuse. Um, I think we could say beyond alleged, she died of a, of a barbiturate overdose uh, at the age of 36. But but the movie does get into a lot of speculative um, uh, treatment of some of the things that might have pushed her into that. And and in, I'm reading a lot of the discourse as the movie is making its way through uh, the film festival circuit. And as people, more people are seeing it. Uh, leading into its release on Netflix. And there are a lot of critics who are complaining about some of the more positive aspects of Marilyn's uh, life and work that she did in Hollywood uh, that is getting overlooked or just scrubbed out of the narrative because uh, Dominic might be able to say that it wasn't part of the book. I'm not quite sure. I didn't read the book, um, but he's also arguing that it, ju it just wasn't part of the story that he wanted to tell. He primarily wanted to tell the story of, of, uh, a young person who is influenced by the draw of celebrity uh, and seemed to have everything. The way that he phrased it in a recent interview was like um, in an Instagram stance, if you were looking at her life just from the outside, it seemed to be that she had everything. Um, but if you looked behind beneath the surface, she had a lot of problems, she had a lot of things going on that were sort of tearing her apart. Um, and this movie tries to get into what those are. Uh, I was riveted by this movie. Um, I, I, it held my interest completely for the full three hours. Um, I thought Ana de Armas was incredible as Marilyn Monroe. And um, yeah. Jake had said something to me going into it where he mentioned the, that her not being able to completely hide her accent uh, took him out of it. Is that fair to say that kind of took you out of it? I, 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 I just don't think I ever felt like I entirely was watching Marilyn Monroe. I mean, I've got I'll get into once once I am able to sort of give my spiel on it. I'll give a bigger picture of of, of my thoughts on this movie. But but no, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying that I disliked her performance, but I, okay. I definitely did not love it. And, and she didn't disappear to the degree that she needed to for me in this film. Gotcha. OK, I could see that because there were a lot of times where I saw the, the Ana de Armas, sure. you know, playing Marilyn Monroe. And yet there were other times where I really did feel like, oh, my God, like there was one or two moments where I wasn't quite sure if they were showing actual mm -hmm. footage of Marilyn Monroe or whether it was Ana de Armas. The smile uh, was, ever, was, was everything. Yeah, that when she was filming the gentlemen prefer blondes, uh, you know, the, the dance has become very popular from uh, Madonna's material girl uh, video, um, like all these iconic moments that sort of get portrayed uh, the way that they shot. I loved how Dominic was was always trying to to hammer home the point of her being exploited uh, by the industry and how he made me feel the weight of the eyes that were always on her. And I'll mm -hmm. use an example um, uh, that I thought was extremely effective, which is when they were filming the shot of her standing over the grate 
with a seven year itch with the dress blowing, which, you know, is an iconic moment for Marilyn Monroe. Um, and he'll do something like he'll pan back or do like an aerial shot. And even though there's maybe 15 people on the set, um, he will pack like 50 to 60 extras mm-hmm. um, that weren't there, but probably to Marilyn, it felt like that's how many people were watching her do this thing. Right. And, and it implies that she felt violated, you know, that she was that that too many people were being able to be part of this intimate moment kind of thing. And I think mm-hmm. Dominic does a lot of that stuff because visually he thinks that that's a cool way to to emphasize the point of this is probably how she felt. And he's been saying this in interviews a lot of like, I'm more interested in how she potentially felt at different things than I am in the facts of it all. And I think that's going to rub certain people the wrong way. If you're going into it looking for a, a factual layout of Marilyn Monroe's career, right. you're not going to get it. But but to me, it was a sort of dream state. Uh, this is a, probably how it went down in a lot of different instances. And in some places, it's really, really uncomfortable. And in some places, it's really, really tragic. Um, and sometimes you do feel the the success, you know, but and, and other times you feel her button heads with Billy Wilder and um yeah, I just thought it was fascinating. I mean, I think it has its problems. I think the movie has its flaws, uh, but but I, I was completely riveted by it. And um, and I would highly recommend it uh, for anybody who kind of appreciates the way that Dominic makes movies. So, um, Jake, I know you don't agree necessarily. Um, so do you see where I'm coming from at all? Or Well, it's funny because it just feels like we're on opposite sides of the same coin. Um, I hated this movie, like hated yeah. genuinely with a capital H hated this movie um felt uh, just wrong and and manipulative and sadistic to me it just sort of felt like you know it, it's less narrative and more just kind of floating from miserable nightmare to miserable nightmare and the thing is like mm-hmm. you know the three of us have have discussed this this film at length um in the text group uh leading up to this review so i'm not saying anything that they, they don't already know about how i feel but i think my, my biggest problem is is I, I get what you're saying i understand the idea of you're trying to replicate some of the feelings that she was going through what i don't understand is why you can't do that by just telling me what happened to her it felt like the film was getting off on just making this woman suffer and just enjoying watching these terrible things. And the thing is, is that like, if you're going to, as an audience member, if you're going to put me through this, you're going to put me through the ringer and make me watch this woman go through these terrible things, at Mm. least let the outcome on the other side of this be knowledge and be Mm. actual factual information. Like I, you can tell me, what she was, how she was feeling by just telling me what happened to her. You don't have to make up these imaginary fantasy nightmare fairy tales about things that happened to this poor woman. And also, I mean, the movie to me just made her look stupid and she's not stupid. She was never, in fact, she was known for being quite smart. And yes, there are quick blips and there are quick moments where a character might realize, oh, you're smarter. You're smarter than, than I think you are. But in a, in a nearly three hour movie, those, those moments don't come along enough. And I feel like those moments are only earned because it's they follow 45 minutes of of making her look stupid and there's a quick moment where like she'll be she'll say something smart or recognize something in literature and someone will perk up and go oh you're smarter than i think you are but Mm. again that's that's only earned because like for 45 minutes like oh look how naive and kind of stupid she is and there are some actions that just kind of you know her her believing these letters that were written to her that they were written by someone else that she doesn't think they were written i don't know I, i i hated the experience of watching this 
I hated it so much that I was watching the time on my watch and marking down how many minutes were left in my notebook. I was, I was like, that's, I mean, you guys have, you guys have mentioned, um, how I need to watch it again to, to truly, and there is, there's no wild horses could not drag me back to this movie. And I love, I, I think Andrew Dominic's assassination of Jesse James is, is, one of the most incredible works. I think, I think it's probably Brad Pitt's finest film. I think it's one of the best films of, of the aughts decade. Um, and it's, it's a, that's a masterpiece, but on the flip side of the coin, I cannot even begin to express how much I hated blonde, like just genuinely, genuinely hated it with a capital H despised it with a capital D. We'll never watch it again. And I, but here's yeah, the deal. I get what you're saying, but I feel like we're almost saying the exact same thing, just on the complete opposite sides of the coin. Before I throw to Kev, I just want to address one other thing. Do you think sometimes it couldn't tell you exactly what happened because we don't know? Like, especially yes. the stuff with her and Kennedy. Yes. Right? Like, we just don't know. Yes, that is that. Yes. I mean, a lot of a lot of their stuff is very well documented. I mean, here's what, here's what I'll say. Yes, there, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that went on behind the scenes between her and Kennedy that we'll we'll never know. But there's a lot of stuff that is factual on the record in books. And if they had used that as yeah. at least a starting point and then moved on to like a degree of of a fantasy then okay but like the scene between her and Kenny that we get to me is just miserable and malicious and it 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 and I think it enjoys itself in watching this happen I just got this like really sickening like dude, dude like my that god give the tough. poor woman a break I also took a, a sort of bigger picture approach to it too and thought like that this story isn't unique to Marilyn Right. Like, I, I I think that you could apply a lot of the, the struggles that she endured to a number of people who were working well, hell, in the film industry the, to this day. The, the Elton John song and changed yeah. it from from Marilyn Monroe to Princess <laughs> to Diana. Princess Diana, of course. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. I mean, but also yeah. Keep, this also seems eerily reminiscent of the, almost the exact same complaints that I lodged toward Bohemian Rhapsody, which is my biggest issue. With Bohemian Rhapsody is that it creates a narrative around Freddie Mercury, who one is not alive to defend himself and two is not right. And I think my issue is we can sit here all day and talk on this podcast about how this is uh, uh, not a factual biopic. But whether we like it or not, people are going to watch this film and they're going to take it as fact in the same way that Bohemian Rhapsody is taken as fact, even though it's not fact at all. That comparison, though, I don't know, is totally fair because I think Bohemian Rhapsody is a is a mainstream movie. And I think you're Mm. right in that there's a lot of people who are just going to watch it. I think Blonde is so niche that the people who are going to watch it are going to understand the conversation around it. And I think a lot of the conversation has been this is not a like like I think the movie itself has been selling itself as like. I don't think the movie is trying to trick anybody, which is important. Um, So I don't know that that comparison is totally fair in that. I don't think that, you know, sure, people will stumble across it. It is on Netflix, but I I don't think it's going to have the, you know, the mass appeal of Queen and Freddie Mercury. Let me ask you this question. How many? I haven't seen Blonde, by the way, which is why I have not chimed in. So and it's very sensitive materials. I don't want to like. And we did have Andrew Dominic on the show. Um, We asked him a lot of these questions. Um, Jake asked a lot about the fiction, nonfiction um he talks about the nc-17 rating and things like that you can find that as a bonus episode but it is uh this is definitely not uh an easy film to discuss and it's going to be this course everywhere uh, my right? last my last question for you guys with quick around the horn um and this will be a question that comes up a lot through the end of the year awards is this this is in the in the discussion or do you I think, think she's in the discussion but that's it I think she gets a nomination yeah um the movie the i think is going to be too divisive year. does it does it sneak in because it's adapted 
screenplay because mm. it's based on you know sometimes like in a, like the adapted screenplay categories that not That's I wouldn't say weak but it's just like you get ones in there that are like oh because it's based on a book. Here's the thing. I, I think Kevin and I are going to be um, in the minority on this. I think Kevin and I appreciating this are going to be. I, I don't think people are going to like this movie. Well, uh, it's not so an easy film. I honestly don't think she gets in. I, I, I think the but like because keep in mind, whatever, whatever buzz occurs at this moment doesn't matter. It has to ride through voting, which is going to be what, late January, early February. And I don't feel also, like there's right. enough buzz right now. Like right now, it should that, be white, hot, blistering buzz. And it's got to ride that wave. And I don't think but, I don't think they've got that. That category, best actress this year in particular right now is is very difficult. Yeah, it's, so, it's a category she is we thought it was plus Michelle Williams. I think she's outstanding. Yeah, I, th- I think she's great. So I, am, I would love again, to see I haven't seen Fableman's, but I mean, we, let us know. Comment below. Um, this yeah, is, I want to hear you. Know, let let me ask you this. This is going to be this on, from a learning perspective. Yeah. Like, this is going to be on Netflix. This is this is two forty five, two fifty on Netflix. People are going to see it's going to it's going to pop up on their you know homepage whenever they get on Netflix. How what is the percentage of people that press play that make it to the end of the movie? Very low. probably very 25, low. 25 percent. You think that's very yeah. low. Yeah. But I mean, but like, well, My I would parents wanna, would probably turn that off. But like definitely very low. But I, I would want to know what that is for a standard movie. Like, mm. like, I think uh, I like think it's just, Gray Man. How many? I would say people watch Gray Man. I think people like, finished Mank. I mean, I just I, think I'm in general, think like, I think in general, it's just too easy for people to turn a movie off on Netflix. That's the big issue. That's why can they watch it in chunks? What if they if they get if they watch it in chunks and get to the end of it? That doesn't seem that? like a chunk kind of movie. I was I was reading a um a quote from uh Joyce Carol Oates who wrote the book and she even mentioned when she got the final cut she had to pause halfway through and took a couple hour break because it's so hard to watch yes and that's (laughs) and honestly it is a very yeah 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 I'm telling you and like that's the thing is like but it's his thing so I think I think it's I think it's he very much made it his own so but also people listen when you watch this movie like this is not a movie you really turn to for pure entertainment. No, <laughs> this is, it's not. This is pop some popcorn uh, and watch blonde. Th- this is a very, very hard film to watch. But again, if you're willing to walk away with a perspective that you understand that everything isn't real, but it's just capturing a moment and a feeling um, to me, I, I am glad that I watched it. I'll never watch it again. I, I I'm excited. I'll say again. this. I have not watched it. I have not watched it, but I've been following a lot of the discussion around it because I am. Ex- I'm excited to see it as the word for like, it looks like it's very, um, it, it, a very intense movie. And I, and I, yeah. I'm interested to see what it explores. And from what I've gathered his main theme and then the discussion that, that, that you guys had with him, the thing he's trying to discuss is how she, and women at the time and the entertainment industry as a whole, just how terribly they were exploiting people in that position and how she was at the top of it in a way that no one else was. And I think if he is artistically trying to push that beyond reality in order to highlight that, I think that's interesting, but I completely understand why some people would call that exploitation in and of itself. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I don't know that that's fair. But I, one of the original the original draft of the novel I was reading was going to be this story about this young, basically this, the story of Marilyn Monroe without ever naming Marilyn Monroe. Is going to just the last seem page, like a right? to the last page. That's and a then cool the last page idea. was going to reveal basically the story you've read. And I feel like that to me my, cool. now she ended up not writing it that way. Um, right. But I remember thinking like that to me is much more. 
that vibe I get in a weird way. You couldn't way. do that visually. You couldn't do that yeah, in a movie. Yeah. You couldn't have, you mm-hmm. have her look like Marilyn Monroe and then be like, yeah. by the way, yeah. that is Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Plot right, twist. Exactly. All right. Let's shift gears completely uh, away from a, uh, a difficult film to get through to one that's a pure delight. Uh, and this is uh, Nick Stoller's Bros, mm. um, which is uh, Billy Eichner's comedy and uh, a return to rom-com, sort of, as we discussed with uh, with Nick Stoller and Judd Apatow, who I uh, have been responsible for some variations of the rom-com over the years. And uh, and I've had this conversation with some of the people over at Cinema Blend, too, that the idea of the rom-com hasn't really gone away. It's just like a lot of it shifted to streaming. You can go to Netflix or Hulu and, and watch a <laughs> yeah. number of of decent rom-coms. Even things like Palm Springs, I think, would qualify yeah. as a rom-com. I think the genre yeah, just just changed over the years. Um uh, this one feels a little bit more traditional to me, which is very funny because it's, you know, being sold as a, the first sort of mainstream same sex rom-com. Um, but it plays into a lot of the cliches uh, and handles, excuse me, handles them properly uh, in a way that I felt like, oh, this is a real cool return to form to the Julia Roberts. It Sandra earned Bullock. the cliches. It earned sure. them. Yeah. yeah you know sure. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And there was nothing as over the top as like, you know, the sprint through the airport kind of thing. But um, it follows the same trajectory of. Uh, two people who shouldn't, you know, who you don't think would be together, uh, figure out a way to sort of get together. Then they fall apart for various reasons. And are they going to get back together? Um, it is extremely funny. Uh, it, it is laugh out loud funny and 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 different in in what Billy Eichner does in Billy on the Street, which to me is. And, and it was funny to watch him do these two most recent ones with Jack Black and uh, Paul Rudd because it was a reminder of how aggressive and and in people's faces and fast. But it almost felt like he was like pulling. Did you feel like he was kind of pulling back a little bit on that? You know, sort of like watching these new Billy on the streets was almost like a little bit. He he wasn't quite willing to go to the level or the degree that he used to. Oh, I agree 100 percent. And maybe because the personality that he's playing in bros is tamer. You know, I asked him. Uh, when he came to Chicago and I asked him if Billy on the street were to run up to Bobby, yeah. what, what do you think his reaction would be? And he's like, you know, he goes, I've been saying for years that like if Billy on the street were to approach Billy on the street, I would hate him. Like I would, I would absolutely. <laughs> so it's, it's weird. It's funny to think that like, oh, yeah, that was a character. Oh, you yeah. were playing. It was like, yeah, 100%. That's, you know, yeah. that kind of aggressive, loud. Well, because he kind of played it in Parks and Rec, too. 100 you know? percent. Absolutely. When he when he got a part, a supporting part on Parks yeah. and Rec, he did that that sort of. uh he brushes people off, you know, and he's he's dismissive uh, a little bit in the way that he treats them. Um, none of that is is in bros or well, the character he plays in bros, Bobby is older and he's a podcast host and he's dealing with the uh, the struggles of modern dating and uh, the, the use of the apps. And and, you know, but but he's also content, he says, and this isn't spoilery. This is the first couple of minutes of the movie. Um, that he's content to not be in a relationship, that he doesn't feel like he needs to be in a long term relationship. And he's very happy with himself uh, and the status that he's at. Um, he works uh, in uh, at a museum They're They're currently trying to open the first uh, LGBTQ plus uh, museum in New York. And they're debating about what needs to be uh, featured in there. And And through that, I think the movie does a really good job of touching on uh, gay history and and significant moments uh, in the yep. development of gay culture through New York, um, which I think is really important to Billy. And I'm glad that he included it in there. 
then of course he meets this guy played by Luke McFarland, who I didn't realize that Luke McFarland has a huge um, Hallmark Channel audience. Dude, that's that's his big that that, that was and I didn't know that until after the movie was over because the whole yeah. movie they're joking about Hallmark and I'm like, yeah, oh he's but in, they can't he's call it Hallmark they call it something different. Paul Hart. They call it Hall Hart. Hart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but the best thing I could say about it is that um, them as a couple, I rooted for, mm. you know, more than I did uh, in in any other, you know, recent rom-com. And it threw oh, me yeah. back to uh, the levels of, you know, Jerry Maguire and and Renee Zellweger's character and the You Complete Me type thing and uh julia roberts and hugh grant you know the times you wanted them to get together i wanted these two to figure it out you know and i knew that the formula meant that they were going to but i wanted them to i I was curious to find out how it was going to happen um and it's just it's it's a great movie it's a really fun movie it's a it's a really sweet movie it has it's, it's way more heartfelt than i thought it was going to be if only because when Apatow has gotten together with some of these other standups, whether it's been Amy, uh, Amy Schumer or Pete uh, Davidson for Trainwreck and King of Staten Island, those movies didn't have as much heart as this one does. Um, and maybe by design, I'm not quite sure. Uh, it leaned into their personalities a little bit stronger. This one is a very sweet movie that I cannot recommend uh, highly enough. I loved it. I think you guys are on the same page as me, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I loved I, it. I think this is probably the funniest movie I've seen so far this year. So much so Kevin and I saw it together <laughs> at a screening in Chicago. So much so that yeah. my rep came up after and said, wow, you guys really you guys really liked that one because I mean, we, we were just dying we laughing. Dying. It was such a yeah. great and also just was it one of those screens where you guys were the only two in the no, theater? No, 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 no. It was, it was packed. It was, it was packed, packed, which was great. And then like, Billy showed up afterwards. Yeah, Billy and showed his, up to the screening. His teacher from Northwestern was there, which was really cool. It was very oh, cool. Awesome. Um, but yeah, you know what? I really thought it was a really cool blend of. I mean, one of the points that uh, they they make at the beginning of the film is that like gay relationships are different. Like everyone tries to say that gay relationships mm-hmm. and straight relationships are the same. They're not. And so, but there's also a degree of like to a certain degree they are like at the end of the day you know there are a lot of the same sort of troubles because the film does kind of fall into um sort of sort of some familiar sort of uh you know trials and tribulations that we've seen in rom-coms before but there's also this i mean i'm trying to think of like like how else to say this but i mean it's, it's the way i say it to billy eichner which is just like as a straight man i learned a lot watching this movie but it was yeah. great and it was funny and it was it was it felt fresh even though there were a lot of like really sort of familiar tropes that we've seen in rom-coms over years past it felt like it was being told through a really fresh and unique angle that i never once rolled my eyes of like oh we've seen we've seen that before it's like okay well like maybe i have seen that before but i've never seen this person with this cast through this lens tell it before sure yeah, I loved it. I uh, I do want to comment though. I I do think that Trainwreck and Staten Island have great heart to them. Like I think that's one of the things that like Apatow has done well over the years. But in terms of this film, I first of all, it was hilarious. Um, but what's wild about it is I remember a lot more of the dramatic aspects of it than I do mm-hmm. the comedy. Um, there's a scene in this film that's on a beach where Eichner gives a speech about confidence, uh, which is to me, the best scene in the film, it's a it's a, it's a it's a beautiful monologue about, you know, being yourself and people telling you, not you know, it sounds like something you may have seen or heard before, but not through the way Billy tells it or the way Bobby says it in the film. Um, I think one of the things I love about all these these Apatow films is the is that difference between who the real person is and who the actual uh, character is and like what it, Apatow tells us in the interview, it's 30, 30, 30, 10 or something, whatever it was like percentage of who they are versus the character. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, 
I, I found it interesting because what I loved about the film is we're talking about how the relationships are different and the movie, you know, we don't really get like Billy says this in, in the, in the press a lot about like fully fleshed out characters, you know, like, like, and, and real human being characters and not just a character for a joke in a movie. Um, and he talks about that importantly and they, and they even reference films um, that have used uh, elements like that. They even reference the hangover, which is, you know, there's, there's some really interesting things that they bring up that are actually really interesting topics that are done in the film in a way that engage the story, but also make you think, Oh yeah, they're right. That, that line was in that movie and that was really offensive. Um, and I think Luke McFarlane and, and, and Billy Eichner have great chemistry, incredible chemistry. Like when they first meet like that, you know, you watch a rom-com, you get that electricity between the characters. You feel it. Like there's that amazing moment in the bar where they meet and you want them to be together. And at first, like Luke's character doesn't want to have a relationship. And then, you know, one of the things I said earlier was that it earns it earns its um, rom-com tropes. And here's why I said that. I think the movie, in my opinion, that's the point, right? Why, you know, why can't we have a gay romantic story that follows those traditional rom-com tropes. Sure. And I think what's going on is it's almost like a meta approach. At least this is the way I took it, where like the film is a, it's a different rom-com, but it's also allowing itself to be a rom-com, but, yeah, but just here's the two thing. gay characters. Which is, the reason I why is I point that out is because if any other rom-com leaned too heavily on the yes, cliches, you would I would ding it. it for that. Yeah. Correct. I'd but say I think, that's but lazy. Think, you know, you're using them. This earns, earns them. Yeah. them. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't do them specifically. It tweaks them all. Right. But what I really found interesting about it was that it was it allowed itself to still be that traditional rom-com, but also the history that it's making. You know, the first openly gay man to write and star in his own motion picture, a major studio motion picture. Um, And I think the entire principal cast is LGBTQ plus, which is which is incredible. Um, And you feel like you're watching an authentic story and jake brings up an interesting point too i learned a lot too like mm-hmm. it, it, it it is a very fascinating film that is supposed to teach you but yet also entertain you and then the heart of it is just amazing like i think you know you go back to train wreck for example uh, for example the scene in at the knicks um at the uh the garden that the garden mm-hmm. at the end when she does that whole dance number um, like Kevin was gonna say, I learned what basketball was no no but my, <laughs> my point being is that like they're each of these films uh, these Apatow films and Stoller, whatever, um, there's a beautiful heart to them, really. And I think what's great about it is it's still an R-rated raunchy comedy. It's still raunchy. It's still funny. And I, I'm glad you brought up the history, Sean, because I thought this was really cool how they did this, because you really could fall into a bad territory of exposition in that case, where you're trying to teach the audience or give the audience, because they even say in the film, like, everybody knows only this thing about gay history, but what about these incredible people who were on the forefront? That was one of the questions I asked Billy and Luke in the in the in the interview is there's this moment where Luke is um, basically for people who haven't seen it. Billy Eichner's uh, characters creating a museum, an LGBTQ plus museum that teaches gay history. And in the film, uh, essentially what happens is like Luke and him are you know, on a date or whatever. And Luke shows up into the to the museum before it even opens. And he's looking at himself in a reflection and at the museum, when they're when they're highlighting somebody, it says the three things that they've done in their lives. Um, so I asked each Billy and Luke, like, if you guys were to be 
in a museum like this one day, like what, 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 what are the three things that you would want it to say about your life? Like what you've mm. done to push that forward. And they gave great answers to that. But the history that you're talking about, which I thought was great, was they teach you a lot about LGBTQ plus history through story. And yeah. it's not exposition. It's not someone just preaching it to you. It's like, oh, we get to learn it through the museum because that's how people are going to learn it in the film. Sure. Um, but yeah, I was really impressed with this. I was Jake and I were laughing so hard and it is just an emotional, really well-made romantic comedy. And it's yep. awesome. And Billy is great. And Luke is great. And the cast is great. And it's like, it's just, it has a 95% of Rotten Tomatoes. And I don't, I'm not a Rotten Tomatoes awesome. person right. who's looks at that and makes definitive answers on movies. But to see that number on that movie makes me so happy. And I, and I, I and Sean scoffed at this idea, but I did say that his screenplay should at least be in consideration for an original screenplay. What nomination. about song? Song. Best song. And that you know song. who they should get to perform it at the Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> no, Billy and that person. That person. Yeah, and that person. That oh, would be really funny. that would All be. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll be really curious. We'll talk bros uh, box office in the next episode because I'm really curious to see if people come out. I hope it does well. This. I really do. Yeah, I hope it does as well, too. Uh, the blend game this week is going to be um, a unique one we're trying to do where we are pulling out uh, double features and the hosts get to program uh, let's say we're stuck at home one night and we're entertaining ourselves with a unique double feature. Uh, no real parameters as to how or why we were choosing the, the movies that we choose. But we can go with a, a million different directions. And um, we're going to keep this quick because we've been sort of digging deep into both blonde and bros. Um, so, Jakey, why don't you go with your double feature and tell us uh, what you're choosing and briefly why you chose it? Well, mine is a thing I've touched on on the show, so I won't take too much time. But it's it's a yearly tradition that I do once a year and I look forward to it so, 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 so much. But it has to be planned out um, whenever I know a big snowstorm is coming into Chicago. Like, I know it's on the way. We can plan for it. They're talking, they're talking feet of snow coming in. I get I mean, all like May, the ingredients. May or June? Yeah, exactly. Any Tarantino day now, any loves day now. feet yeah. of snow. And so uh, <laughs> I, I go to go to the store. I'm not even going to touch that. I go to the store. I get all the ingredients to make uh, my slow-cooked chili. And I, I make it all day as I prepare for the, for the storm to come in. And then I do a double feature of The Shining and The Thing. There's cool. just something about those two movies with the lights out while you're actually literally being snowed into where you're watching that just you have an order? It's the greatest thing you switch the order i kind of switch the order based on like what's the most recent one i've watched if well, you know no, give us the programming I, what, what, what's the hamilton double well, feature like how would you present this well, what i'll do is I, like i'll make the chili put it on and then i usually pour myself a whiskey i always have like oh. a bottle of whiskey on hand single cube and so for for this instance oh, if, if it were um you know if there were going to be a snowstorm tonight i just watched the Shining. So first okay. up would be the thing. So yeah. you know, no, no. Uh, take up, take aside what you've watched. I'm, I'm talking about like if you were to to build this as a feature and actually show it to the public, what would be your reasoning to put one before the other? Like how, like how would you? Because you got to think about the emotions of the night. You're you're watching one, and mm -hmm. then you want to end on the one. So like, what is the one you want to leave at the end? Like, I would I would probably do the Shining first, just because it's a little mm -hmm. bit more of a slow burn than the yep. thing is. And you want to end like, the you know, if, 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 if that were one big giant film, you would want it to go like that. Yeah. Um, so you kind of build up the anticipation. And then when the thing kicks in, 
Good I mean, call. from that opening scene of the helicopter chasing the dog, you've got, you know, it kicks right off the bat as opposed to shining takes a little bit longer. So if I, if, you know, if I hadn't seen either of them for a long time, I would probably start um, with the shining first. But based on the fact that I just saw the shining in theaters a few weeks ago, I'd probably go with the thing first, but it's got, but you gotta, you gotta pair it with my world famous chili, no beans and uh, a, a little, little, little splash yeah. of whiskey. It's but weird. Uh, Jake, that beans are really good for your heart. You know, the more you eat, it's also unusual Go that ahead, Jake Sean. is Jake is referring to the, the 2011 thing, which he just loves <laughs> right, 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 right. constantly is talking about that one. <laughs> and I'm actually talking about the, 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 the Simpsons version of the of the shinning. <laughs> come on, come on, boy. Do you want to get sued? You know, there are people like who still I mean, they got, this was like a tweet the other day that I saw. People don't realize that Carpenter's the thing is a remake. Yeah, people forget that. Yeah, well, yes. it's a lot came out a long time ago. Sure. So, um, I went with uh, so my, my parameters for a double feature, uh, they should be short movies. I I, I want ninety minute movies. Um, because so you went if with I'm the Irishman in for and, <laughs> and blonde yes. and blonde. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brought to you by and, Netflix. <laughs> and I want to go with. I don't want to sit down and analyze uh, these movies. You know, for for four plus hours. I don't want to be you know chewing heavy material. So I went with comedies. Uh, and so I picked the two, uh, to me, uh, tightest and funniest movies uh, that you could ever put side by side, which would be uh, Airplane leading right into The Naked Gun. Oh. Uh, and I just think that those two go so well hand in hand, um, because while there might be funnier movies, that style of humor to me uh, is is so perfect. It's just joke, 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 joke. And they're, they're dumb jokes and they're dad jokes and they're bad puns. And uh, no one's better at it than Leslie Nielsen. Uh, it's, you know, I was rewatching clips of the Naked Gun today to to just sort of refresh my memory on them. And, you know, <laughs> him hopping into the the teenage driving school uh, girl so that he could chase after the car and how bad she is at driving. It's just all these stupid jokes that I appreciate so much more. And I just think that those two together um work well as a double feature and it's light and you can just laugh your way through it. And, and to talk about the order, I would definitely put airplane first um, because I think it's probably a little dated. I haven't gone back and rewatched it in a while, but I'm sure, you know, there's still some jokes that are just timeless in it, but there are some that, that fit the, the time frame of it. Naked gun is hysterical. One of the clips I was rewatching to catch up is just him as the umpire uh, and, <laughs> and loving how much the crowd enjoys him calling strikes and, uh, <laughs> him having to search the players as they come up to the plate um, because, uh, and ironically we've lost the queen now at this point and, and she was mm. going to be assassinated at this baseball game. So did um, you see um, that old uh, Leslie junket interview that's making the round? I'd always heard about this, but never actually seen machine? the video, but yeah, I, I I've always heard <laughs> videos <laughs> that if you went in for a junket interview with Leslie Nielsen, that, that he would be very serious. And then all of a sudden we just start pressing the button on the fart machine. <laughs> And I, I, I heard uh, that for years and, it, and yeah. somehow someone got video of that and it's been making the rounds on Twitter these past few weeks. And it, it's just it's genius because of how straight he plays it, which was always yes. his bit. He was always straight yep. in, in, in oh his delivery. God. He was a genius. I did that. I did that in 10th grade. I brought a fart <laughs> machine into a class and I put it up near the teacher's desk and I would press it during the class. <laughs> how have you never told us that story? That's I know, know, right? I mean, uh, that was an He just assumed we knew that. We assumed he did yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right, come Kevin. on, guys. I, I, I think bathroom blend. I'm still trying to play that on the show. What right. is your pick, Kev, for double feature? All right, so I have a, I have a, I have a 
parameter uh, uh, setup for this. Okay, so this is this would be at the New Beverly. Ooh. Okay. These would be two 35 millimeter film prints. Okay. Okay. Um, I really the, hope they're like two really, really ridiculous movies. I hope you like build this up <laughs> and that it's like really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah. And no, I'm just kidding. Um, love and that so, movie. no, I love Bring It On too. Yeah. Um, so, all right. And then before you enter the theater, you were given three items. You were given um, a, an icy with blue and mixed, blue and red mixed into it. Okay. Milk duds. And nachos. Okay. Okay. Where do I put those whenever I don't want to bring them with me to my set? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) This this is all part of it. You sit down. Your first movie is a 35 millimeter film print of James Cameron's Terminator 2. Oh. Right. So you we open up the McCarthy Festival with that. Okay. Um, You know the two film festival. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's two film festival. Um, That's okay. Now the reason why I've chosen the next film, which is True Lies, is I like the idea of the different Arnold from one yeah. to the other. Um, also, True Lies is a great comedy. I just rewatched it recently. Um, and Hulu. J- yeah, and Jamie Lee Curtis. And you, by the way, you can't find True Lies anywhere. So if right. you want to watch it, it's on Hulu. Um, it was like Christmas Day when I saw it popped up on Hulu. I was like, oh, my God. But the reason why I chose those two films was because for me growing up, like Terminator 2 obviously was my favorite movie ever made. But True Lies was like, it was it was not the antithesis to Terminator 2, but it was such a different vibe of Arnold. And it was such a great Arnold movie. Um, and I think for me, I feel like that would be a fun feature because T2 is a really dark film, but it also has some great comedy aspects between Edward Furlong and, and Arnold. Um, I think that, but also I tied these two films together because of composer Brad Fidel, um, who, by the way, I don't really know where he's been over the years because he did Terminator two. He did true lies. I think he did it. I don't think he did. Obviously avatar was um, Horner, I believe. And so yeah. was Titanic. Um, but I don't believe Brad Fidel passed away. I just don't know if he stopped working. Um, so, and he, uh, would you say Gabe, you were on mute. He's 71, right? 71. So this guy did like two of my favorites. I mean, the score for Terminator two is, iconic dun, 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 mm. dun. i mean like that that score we don't no one really talks about brad fidel i hope i'm saying his last name right um but anyway so that's my double feature i i did that feature because i think it would be great to start off with terminator 2 and then just if you can just end on you're fired <laughs> when he when he fires that missile um <laughs> i just think it's great i i feel like you'd walk out of that theater and you'd be happy that um, a lot of people would be pumped for that one just a good a good arnold double feature man well, we want to thank the you guys for of my double features that no one else is there. So no one, no one's invited to mine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you got, I, I, when did you inspire me when you said chili? I'm like, well, what would I want at mine? And I think, uh, yeah. But James play Cameron, those at the music, play those at the music box. Yeah, man. You should you do the, the, reach out no, to them. You don't understand the detail that I love most is that it's in it's my living you. room and it's in <laughs> my couch. Yeah, I gotcha. you're, you're missing the, the X factor that makes that double feature great in its solitude. Yeah, his, I, intermission, only, his intermission yeah. is a nice little nap, actually, between movies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've only seen Terminator 2 once in theaters, and it was a 3D version when they re-released it. I've always wanted to see it on 35. I've never mm-hmm. had a chance to see it on um, just as, well, as it was on the big screen. Gotcha. Um, audience picks. Uh, Michael Kamen's went with uh, Walk Hard and Pop Star. That's a good combination. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> I would go to that. that yeah. I would. Pretty soon we'll probably be able to add Weird to that. 
Yes, I would imagine making a triple feature. I still uh, want Apatow. Someone needs to figure this out because there's a rumor. And this is, I've asked Apatow this, but he won't answer. But if you've seen Popstar, we did yeah. ask him. Um, yeah. If you've seen Popstar, there's a really funny scene with a limousine where a fan does something very uh, funny. Uh, with He Addie doesn't Andy's not Denver. deny it. He doesn't <laughs> not deny it. If and you go the back theory and listen. is that that might be Apatow. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you would even do that, but it's funny. Uh, Ariel Pace says uh, Ladybird and Booksmart. So that's a pretty good uh, combination of the two. Uh, Christian Hestis went with Almost Famous and School of Rock. Okay. I can totally see that Love happening. That. Now, I uh, think you yeah. would, would you start with Almost Famous, then do School, or would you go the other way? I would start School. I would start school there and I, I'd end stronger yeah. with almost famous. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. School's a nice light way to get into it. Yeah. Well, also uh, just yeah. that last shot of almost famous would be a perfect, the, the bus driving off in yeah. the distance oh, is a perfect great. way for that end to end. Mm. Uh, Michael Nip said the Highlander and Beastmaster. All right. Come back <laughs> yes. to some eighties fantasy here. And then, uh, Satith, uh, Satith's Godi went with gone girl and pride and prejudice. All right. Those are, those are, those are, t- that's Gone, one Gone i would like to one. know i mean like gone girl maybe paired with like i don't know what's well, i don't know like, like a basic instinct quite, or like a, um, that's yeah fatal attraction i do i, I mean, want a little I, more in, inspiration a little more information on the inspiration between putting those two together so i do have one for sean that i think would be a good double bill um you do forrest gump yeah and oh, then that all, th- great. all three lord of the rings as one film <laughs> <laughs> that would be yeah. painful. Right. Jaws uh, and the original Alien would be good. For Ooh. next week, uh, reach right. out on Twitter. This one's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, using hashtag Margot Robbie Blend, and you can let us know your pick oh. on social media, as mentioned. Hashtag Margot Robbie Blend, or you can email us at realblend at cinemablend.com. Um, you guys know the drill. That is where you can send us a review. You can also go over to uh, Apple Podcasts and drop us a review on there. You can uh, rate the show on Spotify uh, and all these things help to boost the profile of the program. Yes. My backup was Rock and Con Air. That's a good one. That that is a good one. That is a really good one. I like that one. I'm sure we'll play uh, Double Feature Blend again sometime. That was fun. I like that one. Our next premium episode is going to be uh, What Year Was It?, which is a fun game that we play. But this time, Donovan has set it up for a horror movie edition. So uh, to find out how you can sign up for the premium, if you want to listen to those bonus episodes that drop on Mondays, uh, check the description below for more information. In the meantime, follow us at social media. You guys know where we are at Jake's Takes at Kevin McCarthy TV at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach, and the show is at Real Blend. We'll be back next week with brand new episodes, a few more bonus episodes, and all the fun Real Blend uh, content that we bring your guys' way. In the meantime, Hockey wins! I just want everyone to be happy. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.